Okay, folks, this is recording. So go ahead and talk about all those weird things you were just talking about. I dare you. We should start, and we should start with prayer. We have, um, I believe, only one family. There's only one I'm aware of, at least, who is still out of their home. Um, and their biggest problem was, apparently she didn't pack him any pants. <laughs> He wasn't there, so she did the packing and evacuated, and, you know, that's a problem, but he's wearing Bermuda shorts that he got at Ross, I think he said, so I suspect everything will work out fine. I just love the way the Lord works sometimes. Um, has anybody heard an update in the last hour on the fire? No? No? Okay. I have not heard anything all day, so what has happened to Well... Midday, 7,500 acres plus, uh, minimum 24 homes, no loss of life, no injury except the uh, firefighter who was in Anaheim Hills who had smoke inhalation yesterday. Uh, structures, I'm sorry, you're right. Uh, there's more than that. There was eight or ten in Anaheim Hills. So when you go down Orange Park Acres, uh, Peters Canyon, it looks like Mars now, apparently. Uh, all burned out. That was hard. I haven't been there in years, but it was still hard. No, last night. Burned it all up. No. No, it held, they held it off from the housings that were right across the street. But the, uh, the park itself went up very fast. Um, but uh, the good news is, again, no injuries, no loss of life. Uh, actually, relatively few homes when you look at the size of the fire and how many were there. Uh, last night, they were able to move it or, or block it somewhat and move it. Uh, not, not, that's the wrong word. It was moving back to the east, but not quickly like it was before. It wasn't wind-driven. It was just burning. And according to Darren, um, they were just running a, an attempt to try to draw some containment before the winds picked up because they were afraid of a marine wind, uh, an offshore wind, coming and driving it the other way where they hadn't really done any containment. Because yesterday they didn't need to worry about the east because it was blowing so hard from the east. So, but today the winds have been pretty mild. So is it still burning out in the brush? Oh yeah, area? yeah. It was, they were actually fighting it on the east side of 241 mm -hmm. this morning. Um, some on the west side still, but they had mostly you know, the, the west side, they were mostly concerned about all the homes, mm -hmm. and they put a fire break in, so they were trying to build a fire break on the east side, keep it from moving. Um, it is a little strange to watch because uh, the PIO, if you guys have been watching those, is a former member here. So it's like, hello, Darren. Hi, Darren. <laughs> um, yeah. He does, oh, he's, I, I was extraordinarily impressed with They've either got some cue cards for him, or this guy's got a memory, because he's rattling off figures, phone numbers. Yeah, yeah, that's Darren. He's a sergeant. Um, yeah, I don't think he has a full beard, but he is a sergeant with uh, Anaheim PD. But they've got a uh, deal for uh, shared uh, information officer with the fire department, so he's been doing both, and uh, so. 
by yeah. yeah. Which is a good idea. I mean, that's what happens when you have a PIO because they work with the press more often than one or two things and they get to know them. But anyway, um, with, with all of that, we had yesterday easily 15 families who were either evacuated or told to be ready to. Um, but and since I was heard, I was hearing today that none of the evacuations has officially been rescinded, which means that of those that were evacuated, they just apparently decided to go back, and and, and they've been okay. But I think they were pushing their luck a little bit. Yeah, seven tonight. They were allowed to go back as of seven. Okay, so there is an update there. Well, and honestly, she should leave. There's no question. Yeah. And I understand wanting to be there, but yeah, when, once you get there, you realize I can't do anything here. You know, there were some that were going back because they had forgot medicines and things like that, and you know. Napa has not stopped, it's not slowed down. Um, it's, yeah, Napa, Santa Rosa, I don't know if it's into Petaluma yet, but 15 confirmed dead by noon, and I haven't heard anything since then, but there's whole communities where the fire just outran everybody, and, and they literally haven't been able to get to it since it burned through even, so they don't know you know, what they're going to find when they get in there. And I heard somewhere they were up in the 75,000 acre range. It was like 10 times what we're dealing with. Yeah, it was Napa, Sonoma. I'm not sure where the, because it is, um, what's next to Petaluma? Drawing a blank. I've never been there, but my sister lived there, so I'm hearing the, what? Santa Rosa, that's the one. Um, a, lot of, a lot of fire in that area. A lot of it is outside, but what happens is they, they, it gains so much speed with the winds out in the, and they had winds up to 80 miles an hour. So, you know, yesterday we were fighting here with 40 miles an hour. So you can imagine what they were dealing with. And they've got, you know, you know we, we drew resources from them. And, and that's why we didn't have as much resources. I was hearing people griping. You know, that little fire we had two weeks ago, we had more resources. Yeah, we did, because the rest of them are up north fighting up there. But anyway, we, we do need to be praying still. Um, it, it would appear that there's much less risk, but depending on what the winds do, it could shift and endanger a whole other set of communities. Um, so, and uh, it's the Jews, by the way, leading the group that you're hearing through the wall over there who were evacuated. Yeah, no, they're with uh, his parents. Um, now, I hadn't heard this 7 o'clock, so I don't know if that applies to them yeah, or not. I saying on the news this afternoon late that they, at the 530, they were given a 7 o'clock return time. But it was that for every, for, every, for every area? or Yeah, all evacuations. Hmm. So that's really good news if that's happened. Yeah. 
So let's go to the Lord. Father, we do thank you that, wow, <laughs> we come together to study, Lord. Two weeks ago, we couldn't even do that because of a fire. And now so many of our people have been blindsided and upset and had to move out. But everybody is safe, and Lord, we are so grateful for that. Uh, we know there's a number of people who lost their homes in the community, Lord. We don't know who they are, but um, I just pray that you would reach out to them, that you would show them your love and your care and plant people who know you near them so that they can be pointed to you in a, in a time like this. And I pray, Lord, that you would be with the Jews, and uh, we do hope ask that you would get them back in their home soon and be safe. But uh, we also ask, Lord, for safety for uh, all of the people just breathing and uh, that you would be with the firefighters. We're very grateful for them, for the police that have been out there. Um, with all the negativism, Lord, we just stand back in awe at what they're doing. And, and we just pray that you would communicate gratitude to them. And we thank you for that. And now as we shift our mind and move back to the revelation, help us, Lord, to uh, understand it and help us, Lord, to heed its message. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. I am, by the way, one last thing. I am a proponent. I'll be honest with you. Um, I, I don't go up and thank everybody for everything. Uh, firefighters, police officers, I tend to do that. Uh, perhaps it's because I've personally experienced, but particularly the firefighters and the police officers who are out um, times like yesterday, pushing 100 degrees, they're wearing these ridiculous suits to protect them that you don't even want to think about how hot it is in those. And uh, they're just out there all the time. We don't get a chance to say thank you often, but we should take it when we can. Um, and they were saying, and I liked it, that uh, don't take things to them. People were trying to drop off donuts and coffee and things at their staging area. They actually have a contractor that does that, and it's in violation of their contract to accept other donations. So they're going to turn it away. But they're saying, you know, there's all these high schools. Um, take it to the places where the people have been evacuated. They'll appreciate it, and they need it. And uh, it's a way of... It's a way of doing something, like we were talking about Sunday. So, all right, I'm going to pass this around uh, once again. Uh, if you would just sign in, I would appreciate it. If, if you're getting the emails, you want to get the emails, and you're getting them at the right email address, then I don't need that. Just sign in your name, if you would. Uh, let me know who all's here. Have a record of that. And we are today... We, we stopped because we, we did some uh, side trips on some things that were pretty important, I think. So we stopped uh, fairly early. We're going to pick up again in Chapter 6. And uh, ambitious as it is, we're going to try to make it through 16. Uh, I think the odds of that happening are rather limited. Start at six? six. That's where we stopped last week. So when I do these classes, I give you an outline, but I'm not married to the outline. Um, I guess I'm not married to the Bible either, but I am committed to the Bible. So we will start and go through what we haven't and try to catch up. Uh, not necessarily as laboriously as 
uh, the first two chapters of this section because we were trying to illustrate particularly the symbolism. And I think we did a lot of that. We're going to get to some new symbolism. We'll talk about that some too. But um, otherwise, we're going to go through a bit quicker. And if we do not complete it, then we'll do the same thing next week. And uh, we will catch up eventually. So do not be worried about that. Uh, one last thing, because we tend to point these out at the end or, or distribute them at the end. Uh, I will indeed give you the 17 through 21.8 study guide tonight for next week, which assumes we make it through 16 tonight. But again, maybe we halfway through we start this next week. Um, I'm doing something a little bit different in it. And I've, I told you I'm doing this. I told you I'm going to. Do not be overwhelmed. Okay? That's a command. You may not do it. I am the teacher. I get to give commands in here related to the class. And this is related to the class. So do not be overwhelmed. I am upping the difficulty level just a little bit for two reasons. One is we have a very large uh, difference in terms of um, skills in this class. And regardless of where you are in that, don't worry about it one way or the other. Um, because there's some people who have been taking classes like this literally eight to ten years, um, almost nonstop, and that makes a big difference. I want you to go to work on this next one when you do, and go as far with it as you can. And if, if you can only make it halfway through it, that's fine. The biggest change is going to be at the very beginning, I ask you to read the passage, and then the next thing I do is ask you to read it again. And this particular one is far shorter than what we've just finished. Okay, it's 17.1 through 21.8. So we're not talking 14, 15 chapters like the one that we're in the middle of. And what I want you to do, as you're going through it, be thinking about the words. Because one of the skills that I want you to learn is there's some key concept in the scripture. Important teachings, if you will. Okay? Can anybody think of an important teaching in the scripture? A theme, a doctrine, if you will. What? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Okay. Now, you're going to run into the word forgive, forgiveness, forgiven, in all sorts of different contexts. So it ought to intrigue you. I wonder what that actually says. We, we looked last week at a word. Was it in, in here that we looked? I think it was in here. Aphesis, the, the accounting term. Wasn't that in here? Because I'm teaching more than one class. Okay, so maybe it was in the other one. Anyway, we have definitely done that before in this class and in the study guides for Sunday. There is a word that is used the vast majority of the time and it's an accounting word and it means to cancel a debt. But there are other words for forgiveness. Now they all mean forgive, but it is important for us to ask and, and people do ask all the time. What does forgive mean? And, and particularly if you're struggling with forgiveness, either God having forgiven you, it's amazing how many people are very nervous about that as I'm praying with them just before a major surgery or something of that nature. Or you forgiving others. 
that also can cause people to struggle. It's very useful to know what exactly are we being told that has happened to us and what exactly are we being told to do for others. Because otherwise we can take on a whole lot of consternation and guilt that's not even necessary if we actually look at the word. So, a big teaching like that. Can you think of another one that would be in that? Love. love. Uh, maybe even, I don't know if it's more important, but definitely more prevalent. And absolutely, it's not always going to be the same word. So what word is it? What, what's the difference? Okay. Um, I, I would add faith or faithfulness because I happen to talk about that a lot. And it's a good idea to always be looking at, is there a different word? When you add uh, trust, because the word trust is another translation for the word translated faith or belief or faithfulness. But there's some other words that are translated that way sometimes. But then there's other things. For example, if you're commanded to do something, you might want to know what you just got commanded to do, right? Because when the Holy Spirit commands something, that's what we're supposed to do. Um, now, I'm doubling up on this, I realize, but one of the, the examples I use a lot is love. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Four of us, okay? We have a very clear, strong command. But what exactly are we told to do? Whatever it is, is not love. Because there was no English. So, you know, you can look that up in Webster's if you want and all the 25 different definitions, but it's a lot better to just look that word up and, and find out. Forgive's another example of that. Encourage is another example of that. We're supposed to encourage one another. How exactly do you do that? If you look the word up, you'll know. Okay? So, what I want you to do is play with the idea of instead of me always coming up with these keywords, you look words up. Now, don't look at the ones at the bottom. Because I've got, I'm asking you to come up with four. I added four more. I actually had eight, and I have marked the other eight. I've written them down just so I can note whether you guys come up with them. Um, well, actually, I had nine. Um, but I, I since I'm doing this, I knocked it down to four. And I want you to first come up with words. And if they're the exact same as the ones below, as long as you didn't look down there and just copy them, I'm good with that. It just shows we're, we're kind of on the same track. But when you look it up, find out what is the word. And, all right, did it help you to know that? But never, ever, ever stop with a dictionary that is simply going to give you a synonym. Okay? I guarantee you that won't help. So you're going to need to go to a dictionary that gives you more than just a synonym. Which we've already seen, right? Is that making sense to everybody? If, if at the end of that you find, you know what, that didn't help me much. Okay, fine. Now you know. I guarantee you, the reason I can say every word I put down on one of these study guides is either reinforcing one of those major foundational doctrines or there's, there's a nuance or sometimes a giant, nuance means small, a giant additional meeting 
that helps us understand what we're being told in that passage. How do you suppose I get so lucky to make sure every single one of them has that? It's because I retranslate the entire passage before I write the study guide. And I run into a whole lot of words I think, I'll bet that's going to be fascinating. And you know what? It wasn't. It was absolutely not helpful at all. And so I don't give you that one because I'm not trying to just give you work to do for the fun of it. Is that making sense? All right. So I'll, I'll pass them around later. I don't want to distract. So that was one way. Did you say that there was more than, than that? that well, there's a few other things I'm simply going a little deeper on. And you'll probably notice that. Um, you might even notice there's a few more questions than the normal one. If I were doing this, for example, with my small group, um, most of the small group would be able to finish it. One, at least of them, other than myself, would probably be able to do it at least in a basic way. He's, pro he's, gonna, he's probably going to spend more time than this. But he'd be able to do it in half an hour. He's been studying that long, and he has three years of Bible college. And then there's others who are very new to this who would not be able to finish it. There's not many of them, but there's one or two who wouldn't be able to finish it. And so I'm always trying to find the middle to give, give everybody something they can do. So like I said, if you can't finish it, don't worry about it. Now, we are in chapter 6, verse 1. We had a discussion of the thrones and the throne room and an introduction to the seals. We have a book and who's holding the book now at the end of six or of, of five? Who? Jesus is holding the book. <clears throat> and this is where the hope came from because otherwise no one was found who could open the book. Because the book had seven, and seven means what? Perfect or complete. So it had just the right number of seals. On it. What is a seal, by the way? Did anybody look that up? Pardon? Okay. Yeah. I'm proud of you because you're using a Rasmian. Take that, Brian. I thought that's what Brian does. No, I do, I'm the Erasmian. No, you're right. You're using modern. That's modern. You're using the way I would say it. He's the Erasmian. Um, what does that mean? What does having a seal on it mean? Well, what is a seal? It's and remember, it's always a little bit more than what, it, what the obvious is, or I wouldn't have asked. Definitely not a ribbon. I'm not asking for what substance it was out of, but you can speculate. So that would be the emblem of the king. Okay. It, um, it, the, the word itself is the word that would have been used for the signet, if you will. So the seal of the king. And if the seal of the king's on it and you break it, that means you just committed treason. 
that's that's that gets you killed in those kingdoms. If you break the seal and you weren't supposed to. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you want to break If you're told to by the king, not a problem. But if you break the seal, because the purpose of putting the seal on is to seal it so that no one can get into it, to change it, to, to uh, rob of it, depending on what's in it. Um, so we know this, because it's sealed, this is what was intended to be. Because it's sealed, and the seals haven't been broken. Um, and if there's a signet, then I suppose the signet would have been from whom? From God himself and his authority and power far exceed that of a king right it could also mean um, an attestation or confirmation like yes this this is what it was supposed to be more what we would call a notary seal okay so we've kind of uh, divided the meaning it, it tended to mean all of that and of course there was simply the physical function is does anybody here actually use physical seals Still? Okay. Sometimes you get those little stickers that are along the edge of an envelope. And part of the point of doing that, theoretically, although probably not normally, is um, if somebody were to open that, then you would know. So uh, it's, it's a uh, security device. Okay. Um, they would have used something that could be melted because that's how they would imprint the signet if they used a signet um, so could be as common as wax in fact that is what they used most of the time even at the at the level of the king um, because once the wax was all over it it was very very hard to remove the wax without ripping it so if you're ripping it and you're supposed to open who cares Right? How many of you are real careful not to rip an envelope when you open it? Yeah, we're supposed to open it. I don't care. Or unless, you know, we're really anal about it. Uh, yeah, there you go. But if you open it and you're trying to be um, secretive and, and this wax has kind of bonded into the fabric of the, the paper, the papyri, whatever it is, um, you're going to give away that this has been opened and then somebody tried to reseal it. And by the way, it's very hard if you break the seal because it has a signet that covers most of it. You're breaking the, the device, the design. And it's very, very hard to try to put that back so that nobody can tell it was opened or broken. This is making sense? If you're, if you're not sure about it, go to a candle store. They still sell them as, what, novelties. Um, I've actually used them uh, once. It wasn't that novel, apparently. Okay, so now we're at the opening. Okay? And then I saw when the lamb broke... Whoa, whoa, I'm sorry. You know what? I'm going to stay with this, and when we get to um, the part... What is it, 11? Uh, 11.20. Then uh, I'll ask for questions on the second study guide. So right now I'll stay with this study guide.
Okay, then I saw when the Lamb broke one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying, as with a voice of thunder, Come. Well, I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out, conquering and to conquer. By the way, word conquer? What do you want to guess? Can anybody guess what it is? Guess up to the class, not to each other. What? Nike, Nike, yes. Overcome and conquer. Same word. Okay? See, you already know these words. You just don't know you know them. Now, white is the big symbol here, right? Because it's a guy on a horse and he comes out to conquer. Conquer is not a symbol. Conquer is an action. It's pretty obvious. So what does white represent? Purity. And why would purity be important in a context like this? And by the way, when I say context like this, the reality is we don't know much of the context yet. It's unfolding, right? So why would that be important? Okay, part of it is that. It's as simple as that imagery of the proverbial knight on a white horse. You know, you do not look for Sir Galahad on a black horse or a Palomino. He's, wearing, he's riding a white horse and he's conquering. So what do we know about his conquering? Because of his white horse. And he's a good guy. Okay, he's conquering for good. Okay, this is going to be a good thing, um, although good things can still be terrible. We understand that, right? Anybody remember the flood? Totally righteous and just and good. <sighs> totally terrible. Okay, so we get the first seal. Seal one. One. All right. Try to make it better. Seal one, white horse. Okay, and now we go to seal two. The second seal, when he broke, when he broke the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, come. And another a red horse went out, and to him who sat on it, it was granted to take peace from the earth, and that men would slay one another, and a great sword was given to him. Okay. So, what is red? Okay, it frequently stands for blood. What? Martial. I mean, that's, yeah, that's how you get blood. And... The first one is to conquer, which does have that martial. By the way, um, yeah, that, I think we, it came across that the white horse is conquering purity, conquering for good, right? Mm -hmm. so conquering evil. The red's be for bad. He's a bad guy. Well, no, not necessarily. But the first one has to do is just showing that um, this force is going to win. The second one is showing how. 
because as has been pointed out, red tended to indicate blood and as, as if to clarify that, it says men would slay one another. And a great sword was given to him. Swords were not uh, symbolic in that day. Swords were weapons that drew blood. So yeah, the red is going to be exactly what it sounds like. And blood, by the way, <clears throat> because of the association with red, was seen as a purifying agent. So for example, sacrifices would be made and the blood of the sacrifice sprinkled on a person or something being dedicated to God um, or, or a group of people in the case of a covenant being made to purify that because blood was seen as a way of purifying. Okay? How many of you understand that, by the way? I mean, at an emotional level. Yeah. How many of you have killed somebody in battle with a, with a sword? Okay. We're dealing with a very foreign culture and concept. So that's why, you know, it's not mysterious. It really isn't. It's simply a matter of going back and looking at what did they say? What did they hear when such things were said? So, you know, we're not making these up. We're looking at literature for hundreds of years that used these symbols and what it meant. Well, it sounds like a bad guy. I would think whoever decided to flood the earth and kill all but eight people sounds like a bad guy. But he wasn't, right? So I don't disagree with you, but that's kind of the point. Um, how many of you have ever prayed for the Lord to return? Has anybody ever done that? I've done that a lot. Do we realize that we're praying for a majority of humanity to, to die and be judged eternally? All of a sudden, it sounds bad. I pray for it a lot. My wife won't because she brings that up. And I still do because it's going to happen. Um, Is that what chapter 16 is talking about or just a whole different... I was reading that. I was freaking out thinking, oh my God, I've not heard all this stuff when I was young. Yeah. But to read it, I'm thinking, is that... I, I'm not going to jump to 16 now. There's a point of going from six. <laughs> well, good for you reading it. That's a good thing. Actually, read it again and again. That's why you've got those weeks, is that you can read it over and over. But remember, it's highly symbolic. All right? As long as you remember that, all of a sudden these things make lots of sense in the symbolism. Okay. The third one, when he broke the third seal, I heard the third living creature saying, Come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard something like a voice in the center of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not damage the oil and the wine. Okay, now, 
Anybody uh, into the economics of um, of uh, first century Asia Minor? No, that's not what I asked. <laughs> so once again, we've got something that makes lots of sense to the people he wrote it to. It can make plenty of sense to us in the same way. All we have to do is a little bit of research to find out what exactly did that mean. It was a lot, and that's basically what it's saying. The scale was a way of weighing out a portion. What else does a scale represent? Justice. Justice. Okay, and, um, well, I'll just fish one more time. What else does it represent similar to justice? Yeah, that's not it. <laughs> It doesn't represent balance. It is balance. But judgment. The, the way you bring about justice is judgment. Um, <clears throat> there's an apocryphal story, maybe. I don't know if it's real or not. And if you're offended by uh, the story being about Robert E. Lee, um, I think the guy was a really messed up guy, too. But um, he was apparently a guy who had a very uh, strong personal code. And there was a guy who brought, was brought to him, a little uh, teenage kid, and he uh, was brought to him as a deserter. This was happening uh, very frequently by, on both sides. And uh, so to make an example of them, they would kill them, either shoot them or hang them. And I believe in this case they were hanging them. The kid was brought in by the, the, the provo marshal, and he's, he's just scared snotless, you know. And the story goes that General Lee came up to him and looked at him and said, son, you can relax. You will find justice here. And the kid looked up at him and said, General, that's what I'm afraid of. See, justice for the sinner, not such a good deal. We do not want justice for us. We want grace and mercy. That's different. Okay? But if you deny grace and mercy, you get justice. And in the meantime, by the way, there is, because, because so far you're hearing some hard, hard things. There's conquering, there's wars. Now there's gross inflation. And that's what we're seeing here. Um, if you've ever read stories of, uh, well, the Civil War, as I just said, uh, the besieged cities, uh, I mean, it was amazing what a loaf of bread would cost. You literally have somebody, and this is in an economy in the 19th century, uh, paying $1,000 for a loaf of bread if they could get it because you couldn't get it. So that's, it's, it's a, a picture of the horror that happens in war where you, you just don't have the things you need and everybody suffers. The fourth seal, when the lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come. And I looked and behold an ashen horse and he who sat on it had the name Death, and Hades was following with him. Authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by the wild beasts of the earth. Okay, now, seal four. Now we have, it says ashen, um, pale is another. Uh, the word doesn't come into English real well. 
Um, so good luck trying to figure out exactly what color that was. Um, it, it could be a light gray. It could be a light tan. Um, it, is, it is the color that was associated with death. When the blood has drained and what's left, that's the color. And it's intentionally not a pretty thing. And clearly what happens, intentionally not a pretty thing. So, so far, um, these horses are not things that we like. Um, together they're known as what? The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. And, I, and almost everybody has heard that phrase, or at least the Four Horsemen. Okay? The, that's the horsemen. And, and these are seen as horrible figures. Horrible things. God's judgment is a horrible thing. Hebrews 10. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The theme isn't different, it's just the way of illustrating is a, is a lot more vivid with this. But there were three more. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar of the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long? O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer, until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. So in essence, the answer to the how long is there's not enough of you dead. Again, sounds pretty horrible. But this isn't God killing them this time. Right. These are the good guys. This is God allowing them to die. And that's pretty important to understand too. How many times do we hear people, how could God let that happen? Well, where did we get the idea that God doesn't let bad things happen to people who follow him? By the way, Sunday school teachers, don't ever tell your kids that God will protect them. Please don't do that. You cannot believe how many times I have had to try to unravel that from kids who have grown into adolescence, sometimes not even that long, and realize that's not true. I'll bet you some of that 150, in fact, I know some of that 150 were kids. Where was God? Why didn't he protect them? God allows those who follow him to, to suffer just as others do. But in this case, as you pointed out, um, it wasn't just suffering. It was suffering because they follow him. And there was more of what was called presenting a witness. Um, the, the word is martyr, and it means testimony. A martyr isn't somebody who dies necessarily. It's somebody who gives testimony. Pure and simple. It's the same word that we would use in court for witness. So they are giving a te testimony, or in the evangelical sense, they are witnessing to their faith. And that's how that term came about. Because they have a faith, 
and they're letting people hear that. By the way, what do you all think of the fact that you've got a bunch of martyrs who gave their life for Christ who are pretty ticked off because he hasn't destroyed those who killed them yet? Certainly not to the place where there's no more anger. Any other thoughts? How many of you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that this is describing a literal occurrence and that the souls of these people, which, by the way, is another word to look up, whenever you see something like that, What's being said? What, what is it that's there? It's not the body. Not a bunch of beheaded corpses running around. The souls are crying out for vengeance. The, literal? Why not? Other than you're afraid I'm tricking you and... <laughs> yeah, I see that. Does anybody think it's not literal? Or we're still back to you're afraid I'm tricking you? You think it's not? Why not? Feelings aren't bad as long as you're clear on what they are. Well, and, and that is quite possible, depending on how you view the revelation. Uh, I guess I was looking at it from a little bit different slant. If you kill me, if one of you just, no, you wouldn't do that, because if you did, you'd be nuts, not anti-Christian. Uh, somebody walks in the door and says, are there Christians in here? And I say, of course. And he says, are you a Christian? And I say, yes. And he kills me. Do you believe that as a person who is being faithful and following Jesus, I am going to enter the resurrection calling for vengeance and not mercy and forgiveness? Because Jesus did exactly the opposite, didn't he? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Now, I don't know which one I would do, honestly, but I hope it's the second one. So, what's with this? I personally, this is my opinion, you do not have to accept my opinion. I personally believe this is a clear statement in reinforcing the, the inevitable balance that we just saw earlier, the judgment of God. That it's not so much that they themselves are crying out for it as that what was done to them cries out for judgment. For justice. What? These are souls of people who were human. 
I suppose they're still human. Jesus was human. He was suffering. But how did he respond to the people who caused the suffering? Did he say, why won't you obliterate them? No. That's, that's what I'm getting at. I have a suspicion that those whose faith is strong enough to stand and give their life for, for Jesus are not going to then deny one of his primary teachings. So I suspect what this is is instead symbolic of God's judgment. And it is, in essence, like we would say, the blood of those who were murdered is crying out for uh, justice. I've even heard that in a courtroom here. But you get to do what you want with it, because it doesn't say. All right? Well, that's not what they said, though. <laughs> they rather explicitly called, for, called out for vengeance. Maybe. But it doesn't sound like what they're saying. No, purgatory does not come from Scripture, period. No. No. Um, in the first place, an honest Roman Catholic, an honest theologian, and I studied under them, won't try to relate it to Scripture because it's not. Uh, you'll see some priests trying, and I've actually seen their theologians roll their eyes at what the priests are trying to do because the, the Roman Catholic Church doesn't believe that everything has to be rooted in Scripture. They believe the consensus of the bishops supersedes Scripture. Well, in fairness, I mean, I think it's nonsense, but in fairness, the reason is they believe that the consensus of the bishops is inspired by the Holy Spirit. So they believe the Holy Spirit is inspiring that, and therefore it's not, it's not one versus the other. Uh, unfortunately, it frequently ends up being one versus the other anyway. Um, so the rest of us sit back and go, no, that's not the way it works. Okay? But, yeah, don't, no. Uh, there is another place where I've heard, see, that's, that's where we get purgatory. But, again, I've studied under theologians who are ranking theologians in the church, and I've, and I've studied with the priests, and it's the priests who have said that, and the theologians are rolling their eyes going, no, it's not. Because they don't feel any compunction to tie it to Scripture where the others are trying to do that. Okay, the sixth seal. I looked when he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as cloth, as sackcloth, made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree casts unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And then the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. 
And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their their wrath has come. And who is able to stand? How would you summarize seal six? Well, yeah, sky splitting. Um, catastrophic events. Yeah. But, I, but I, yeah, catastrophic events be beyond what we've experienced. They've experienced bad earthquakes. And now mountains flooding and sky splitting. Yeah, the whole sky splitting gets me. I'm not even sure what that means if it's to be compared to a phenomenon we know. Yeah. So now we've got something brand new happening here. And so what do all these things have in, in common? Uh, the end, perhaps. New American Standard has a label at the beginning. Does anybody have that? It says terror. Yeah. That's their translators doing what we just did. It's just that little exercise of, is there a word that summarizes all of this? So um, I'll put the word disaster, but... I'm going to say end with a question mark. And the reason it's with a question mark is because um, it's really the beginning of the end if it is that. And the reason I say that, I know I'm moving my glasses around as I speak. Here we go. Um, Here it is. Um, verse 16, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come. What's the great day of their wrath? Okay, and? It's probably fishing for something that's not... In, in our system, judgment is like, okay. And then you go back to your cell and about three months later, you know, yeah. Judgment and execution of judgment. Judgment as the pronouncement, but judgment as the execution itself. All, to them, it was all done. Yeah. So, okay. Now, again, you have to ask yourself, that these are definitely visions, by the way. Remember that. John said... He saw visions, and this was a vision shown to him as the seal was, uh, was unbroken. But then the question becomes, is this vision um, the vision of something that is symbolic, or is it the vision of something literal that's going to happen? And of course, that's the giant argument in trying to understand the revelation. Now, in chapter 7, we run into, I love it, what New American Standard likes to call like it's a concert, <laughs> the interlude. <laughs> but the reason they're saying that is because you don't hear the next one being, and the seventh seal, so we're going to have to wait a little bit for the seventh seal. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth. By the way, back to the fact that this is a vision. Have you, have you noticed that the earth is round? Okay. Now, by the way, they didn't know that necessarily. Some of them believed that. Some cultures believed it. Some did not. 
but the corners of the earth basically represented the directions. They all could stand and look as far as they could see in each direction, and it looked pretty flat. I mean, it did this, but, you know, it didn't do this in their eyes. And so as far as you can go that way, as far as you can go that way, as far as you can go that way, and as far as you can go that way, these are the corners that are being referred to. This is not a geology text, and it is not an attempt, and it's not mythology. I, I hear that all the time from scientists. Well, see, they didn't understand. Yeah, they really did. Okay? They may not have had some of the data you have, but they weren't stupid. This wasn't about geology. This was, from as far as you can see, from every furthest point on the planet, on Earth, there's these four angels. What that means is they're way bigger than the Earth if they can do that. Okay? And they're, so they're holding back the four winds of the earth so that no wind would blow on the earth or on the sea or on any tree. Which four winds are there? Not trick. There you go. No, 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 no. There's always north, south, east, west. Or if you want to just say news, northeast, west, south. Okay? There's no wind coming from any direction. And I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, having the seal of the living God. And he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. So... Now we've got the word seal again, only now it's people. And it is bondservants. And if you were to look that word up, you would find it to be dulos, which is the same as slave, except, again, this is a Jewish literary form. And under Jewish law, slaves as we know of slaves didn't exist. So a bondservant was somebody who was either working something off short-term or in this case, and they'd heard this from the apostles for decades, someone who had voluntarily given themselves into the lifelong service of the master. And in this case, the master is God. And I heard the number of those who were at it, or were sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 144,000 means? Perfect? How is it perfect? What, what about it is perfect? Nope. But remember, there's other good numbers. Ah, oh, there's 12s. So not only is there 12, there's 12 times 12. And then if you want to really, really emphasize it, you go by 10. But if you want to really, really, really emphasize it, you go by 10 times 10. Unless you want to really, 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 really emphasize it, and then you go 10 times 10 times 10, which is 1,000. 144,000.
I don't even put dollars. Why did I put dollars on that? Something in my head. So you have now a symbol that has for 2,000 years come through Christian teaching as the perfect number. And this is why. Because it's the number of those sealed. Now, wait a minute. Sealed for what? Well, they're the ones that are going to be sealed as bondservants of God. Right? Isn't that what verse 3 said? So where are they coming from? Every tribe of the sons of Israel. And by the way, most of the recipients, though they understood the Jewish heritage, were Gentile. So is, is Jesus saying, is, is the Holy Spirit saying, that the 144,000, those who are saved, first of all, there's no more. Is he saying that, you suppose? I don't know how many true believers there are. Only God can judge that. But I have a strong suspicion it exceeds that number. And I have an even stronger suspicion that it includes Gentiles. Right? Particularly in light of what Paul said in Romans. Anybody remember what Paul said in Romans about this? Who is the son of Abraham? No. Who is the son of Abraham, according to Paul in Romans? On, on what basis were they adopted, though? Faith. And those who were sons of Abraham by law, see, it's not just blood, because there were those who weren't by blood, but were still Israel, but by the law, because all of them had to be obedient to the law. If they did not have faith, what happened to them? What did Paul say in Romans from those of you who were in that class? There was the imagery of a tree, a vine. They are cut off, pruned, as it were. And those who were not part of Israel by law, but by faith, are grafted in. So that it is not those, those are not sons of Israel or of Abraham by law, but by faith. And then you have that teaching about Sarah and Hagar. The one represented law or our work, that would be Hagar. And unfair, by the way, I get that, because it was really Abraham who blew it. But then the other one, by faith, because when he came to Sarah, he had faith, finally. And it only took him decades. So now we have from verse 4 through 8, and I won't go through every one, 12,000 from every single tribe of Israel. Then in verse 9, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, palm branches were in their hands, and they cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. 
And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. The amen, by the way, was not overdone. That was entire proper use of it. So now we have this other thing happening, and all we have we have this this un, untold number of people, and they're clothed in white, which meant what? Purity. How does one get clothed in white before God? Yeah. See Isaiah, and you will see that process. So blood cleansing. Okay. Which, by the way, is counterintuitive to everybody. Anybody here ever do laundry? Blood does not cleanse. Have you noticed? <laughs> Tends to stain. But no, God does things differently. After these things, oh, I'm sorry, I did that already. Uh, verse 13. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, These who are clothed in the white robes, who are they? Where have they come from? I said to him, My Lord, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation, and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tabernacle over them. They will hunger no longer, they will thirst, nor thirst any more, nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd and will guide them to springs of the water of life, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. That's a pretty cool picture. They are the ones who came through the tribulation, the great tribulation. So we have, what is the great tribulation? Okay, some believe that's life. They came through life. They came through the pressure of life. In the world, you will have tribulation, Jesus said. But others believe, no, this has to be something different. This has to be something that exceeded that. And then they come up with various ideas of what that means or what that was. Um, Anybody want to know what I think it means? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Really? Go ahead. Just so it'd be on here. I want to know what oh, what do I think it means? I don't know. I don't know. I think both of those fit. The apocalyptic vision of some great battle would tend to make you want to look for some giant tribulation. And what's coming after would tend to make me want to look at that as well. Except what's coming after in the long run is a picture of what it is to be faithful to Jesus in this world. Underline what I just said. Be faithful to Jesus. If we are truly faithful to Jesus, and I mean completely faithful to Jesus, this world hates us. This world does not like us. 
and will not allow us to just coast along and be content and happy. Do you guys know why I say that? Does anybody, do, do you disagree or do you agree? So what does that say if we're coasting along being content and happy? Uh-oh. Yeah. How many times could we stand and, and speak for the Lord instead of tearing someone else's ideas down? Don't raise your hand. Is there anybody here who's political? This is, raise your hand in your head. Not, oh, I don't want to see it. Some of you I know are. Because you friended me on Facebook. So a question. Not, not you necessarily. But those other people who raise their hand in their head. How often do they make political statements? How often do they make commentary on the statements of someone who disagrees with them? In person? In letters? Emails? In a blog? On Facebook? Do they share the gospel that often, you suppose? Do they say to those same people whom Jesus sent us here to be ambassadors to, hey, something went off here, and I think I know what it is. This is about us being sinners, you and me both. And there's a way to be forgiven of that, and that's more important than all the rest of this, and we're not going to fix the rest of this until that happens. We've got to be reconciled to God first. How often, in your experience, do Christians, I'm not going to even say so-called Christians, I don't doubt that, they're, that they believe they're Christians and that they are Christians, but how often do we then speak for Jesus as he has commanded us before we get off on our own agendas? It's kind of sobering. So then we start doing that. Had this conversation with two of our leaders today. When a church is being faithful, a church, a congregation, a group of people is being faithful, meaning they're standing for the gospel instead of aligning with the left or the right. What happens to it? <laughs> See, you'd think, oh, God is going to just make everything great, right? Well, did God make everything great for these guys? They had to really, really work their way through a tribulation. By the way, the word for tribulation uh, is it, literally pressure, except it doesn't even come close. It was a torture. There's an intensity to this that we totally miss. It's another one of the reasons we need to look these things up. So what's going to happen is the left's going to hate you and think you're a bunch of weaklings, or no, they're going to think you're a bunch of haters because you don't agree with their agenda. The right's going to hate you and think you're a bunch of weaklings and what's wrong with you that you will not stand up for what's right because they've already defined what's right and it's in the world's terms. Even though they say on both sides they serve Jesus. We've all seen this, right? So all of a sudden, daily life and this special tribulation converge. So if I have, if I have an opinion, it's a convergence 
When the Lamb broke the seventh seal, ooh, now we're at the seven, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel came and stood at the altar holding a golden censer, and much incense was given to him so that he might add it to the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hand. And then the angel took the censer and filled it with the fire of the altar and threw it to the earth. And there followed peals of thunder and sounds and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. By the way, does everybody know what a censer is? It's a guy that every 10 years they go around and... Oh, yeah. It is a metal container because it holds burning uh, incense or burning coals. And the idea of it is to be able to distribute the smoke or the fragrance of that which is burning without burning yourself or other people. Okay. And uh, indeed, there are um, groups who, denominations, who call themselves Christians who practice this. Um, they don't practice it symbolically, unfortunately. So they've taken a step of this is, we, we see this, and by the way, this is something that was done in the temples as well. So uh, it, the, the smoke going up was to be a fragrant aroma before God something pleasing to God because it represented uh, repentance, it represented our obedience, it represented us following Him. And they have taken it and then literalized it and so now they go around and this is actually holy smoke. Yes, that's where the phrase comes from. That is exactly where the phrase comes from. There's a bunch of others like that too, by the way. Another angel, whoop, I did that one. Verse 6, And the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound them. The first sounded, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. And a third of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the, the springs of waters. The name of the star is called Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died from the waters because they were made bitter. Wormwood was a substance known for its bitterness. The fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars were struck, so that a third of them would be darkened, and the day would not shine for a third of it, and the night in the same way. And then I looked, and I heard an eagle flying in mid-heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet and the three angels who are about to sound. So. The seal seven has seven trumpets. And each of those trumpets 
has something that's happening. So you have this big, big thing unfolding, but we're still with the seals. We're still him in the throne room seeing the, the seals being broken and these visions appearing so that he can understand these things. The fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth, and the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. He opened the bottomless pit, and, he smo and smoke went up out of the pit, and like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were deepened by the smoke of the pit. And then out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth, and power was given to them, as scorpions of the earth have power. Uh, how does scorpion have power? Yeah, it stings you. Um, now we've got stinging locusts. Um, you guys ever seen a locust? We're not talking a grasshopper. A locust is, I mean, it's like a grasshopper. I do not, I'm not an entomologist, so I won't try to tell you, but it's bigger. And um, even grasshoppers, if you read stories of the American Midwest, you will read of times where they had plagues of grasshoppers. And they would just have seasons where the grasshoppers were so thick, they would literally come like a cloud, descend on the crops, and in, in a short order, eat everything. And then they would fly away onto the next, leaving the farm, leaving the community with nothing. They just wiped out all the food for the, for the next year. So, you know, this, this wasn't just... Well, the crops failed, so I guess we're just not going to make much money this year. This meant famine. This meant you could die. Your children could die. When the locusts came, it was deadly. So the idea of the sting, the power of them, is something that would not be that foreign. Trying to make sure I go back to, oh, there we are, verse 4. And they were told not to hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. By the way, does anybody know what the seal of God is? Now, we know what it represents. We know that it is a seal that God himself puts and says, this belongs to me, no one else. And no one can remove the seal except God or that which God has said can. Um, so we don't know what it was supposedly looking like. But we know the effect. That even these bizarre creatures are under God's control. And they are not allowed to harm the ones who have the seal. They were not permitted to kill anyone but to torment for five months. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. And in those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, and death flees from them. There are, by the way, scorpions who are deadly. Uh, actually, very few of them. Scorpions exist um, an amazing amount of the earth. There's actually scorpions almost to the tundra. Um, anybody here been at Multnomah Falls? None of you guys have hiked the Northwest? In the Columbia Gorge, coming uh, between Washington and Oregon, um, the Columbia River, giant, giant river, cuts this giant gorge, all sorts of waterfalls. And there is a, a special kind of scorpion that lives there. It's a very cool, moist area. 
for half the year there's snow there. It's at the foot of Mount Hood. And there's a scorpion that is peculiar to that area. That's how, that's how broad scorpions are. Most scorpions, when they sting you, will feel like a very potent wasp or hornet. You will not like it, but it will not kill you. And so if they sting you a lot, you may want to die, but you're not going to. You're just going to hurt a lot. And that's the picture. So they understood that. They had been stung by scorpions before. It was a common thing. But imagine this swarm of locusts that have that ability and, and they're stinging you that many times and that potent and you don't die. You just keep experiencing it. It's horror. The first woe is past, but behold, two woes are still coming after these. And then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, one saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates, and the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released, so that they would kill a third of mankind. The number of the armies of the horsemen was two hundred million. I heard the number of them, and this is how I saw in the vision the horses and those who sat on them. The riders had breastplates the color of fire, and of hyacinth, and of brimstone. And the heads of the horses are like the heads of lions, and out of their mouths proceed fire and smoke and brimstone. A third of mankind was killed by these three plagues, by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone, which proceeded out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents and have heads, and with them they do harm. Those, by the way, are not like the scorpions. Do you get it? They're killing. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, so as not to worship demons and the idols of gold, of silver, and of brass, and of stone, and of wood, which can neither see, nor hear, nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their immorality, nor of their thefts. A third of humanity killed. The other two-thirds did not change. I saw another strong angel coming down out of the heaven, clothed with a cloud, and the rainbow was upon his head, and his face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire, and he had in his hand a little book which was open. He placed his right foot on the sea and his left on the land, and he cried out with a loud voice as when a lion roars. And when he had cried out, the seven peals of thunder uttered their voices. And when the seven peals of thunder had spoken, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up the things which the seven peals of thunder have spoken. Do not write them. And then the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land lifted up his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things in it and the earth and the things in it and the sea and the things in it, that there will be delay no longer. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, then the mystery of God is finished and he is preached or proclaimed to his servants, the prophets. The mystery, by the way, if you remember the word mystery from Colossians, not, doesn't mean something nobody knows or understands. It means something that is true. It means something that is knowledge. But not everybody knows it. Only 
the, the chosen, the faithful, know it. Uh, and by the way, and a rainbow's on this guy. And what does a rainbow stand for? Promise, Promise of? Yeah, it was a covenant. Yeah, it was a very specific one. I won't do that again. The rainbow is a promise that the flood, the flood, would never happen again. God will not do that again. So then the rainbow becomes a symbol of promise or of hope. So of all these symbols that are, that are evoking terror, in the middle of them comes this last one, and he's wearing hope on his head. Then the voice which I heard from heaven, I heard again speaking with me and saying, Go take the book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the land. And so I went to the angel telling him to give me the little book. By the way, I'm not sure I would go to the guy and say, Give me that. I'm just saying. It just sounds a little strange, but okay. Yeah, yes. I would beg him to. I would get down and say, please. And he said to me, take it and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and my mouth, it was as sweet as honey. And when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And they said to me, you must prophesy again concerning many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. What was the seventh seal? No. We haven't gotten it yet. See, that's what happens is we get so wrapped in this that we forget. It's still being unwrapped. Why are they eating the book? What? And what is the book? Yeah. I think we're eating the book because, well, we're not, he did, because it symbolized that there was going to be something in the mouth that was really good, that felt good, but it's going to make you sick. No, not chocolate. No. And the seventh seal had seven, and have we seen all of them? We haven't finished. Well, it's open, but it's not complete. So we're still seeing the unfolding of all of that. Okay. Now, what we just did is catch up to last week. It is 8.30. I'm not going to keep you beyond. But we are now moving at a quicker pace, did you notice? Because we've built this basic uh, outline and understand it. Sorry about that. Um, and next week, we, we'll start with this. We'll start here. And then from there, we will see the rest unfold. So next week, I'm going to finish what was scheduled for this week, which I'd hoped to go into. And I do believe there will be time to either at least start, if not finish, this one, which is 17 through 21.8. So allow me to pass those out. And again, I will send these electronically for those of you who are working on them electronically. Um, by the way, one other thing. 
And I'm not going to tell you why you should be really careful, but when you do the, uh, the work on the words, then if you look at the second word I gave you, it says be careful. And I'm going to see how many of you catch it. It's not a trick from me, but it is a trick in a sense. It's not a trick. It's just tricky. So be careful. And we'll, we'll figure out what that is next week. Thank you, guys. Look, it's the red box maker. It is. My very red box here, which I use whenever I teach this, uh, the fellow who gave me the box has finally repented and returned from Texas. Though I suspect he's about to sin again in the near future. See, I tried to help you, man.